morning, church. I just got to tell you, y'all were way out of hand, way too much energy last week, way too chaotic. Yeah, dial it down a little bit this week. For me, do it for my kid. Seriousness is not a fruit of the spirit. We can have a little bit of fun in church. Uh, so, Anna had a few announcements. I got one more announcement. Um, this, we have discipleship communities every Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, and if you're not a part of them, um, we want to encourage you to do so. Um, and if there's a class that you're not quite, you don't think you fit there, well, you could be right, you could be wrong. But we're going to add three more classes starting in October. Next week, we'll have a brochure that has all the details um, on those classes. But one of the reasons we encourage you to be a part of those um, communities is because you're missing out. If you don't, you're missing out on a major part of being a part of the body of Christ. So not only are you robbing yourself of the knowledge and the fellowship that you would re receive during those times, but you're also robbing the church, robbing all the other people of the blessing of gaining your knowledge and fellowship with you. So, and that's one of the reasons we ask, we want you to serve and use your gifts too, right? Because we want you to be a blessing, and you're blessed through that service. So if you haven't plugged into one yet, um, you can still do so at any point in time, um, or you can start at the October classes. All of them are going to be great, um, but I am particularly excited for one of them that I'm teaching for anyone. It's not a, it's, it's not a student's class. They're actually letting me teach an adult class. <laughs> it could be the last adult class they let me teach. But uh, the class is going to be called Practical Discipleship. We spend a lot of time in church talking about how we are supposed to make disciples. And we talk about uh, the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. But sometimes it feels like we don't actually talk about how to do that. So this is going to be an 11-week class starting the first Sunday in October. I'm going to walk you through. We're going to talk about how do we actually make disciples when I have a 40, 50 hour a week job and then I come home and I gotta do chores or have my kids do the chores and, and all this stuff. How do I balance all of that? We're gonna talk about that starting this first Sunday in October. We'll be in one of the classrooms in the back. Um, again, there are two other amazing classes starting, one for women and then one I think, and this might give me a trouble because I might be wrong, but talking about some tough questions we have about scripture, about the faith. So. Uh, be looking for that brochure with all the details and plug into those classes. I never did grow up in church. Like we never did, the, I never did the Sunday school hour. Um, and I missed out on a lot. Um, I didn't get to know people. I didn't deepen my knowledge of faith, church, life, Bible, everything. So those are great places to do that. Anywho, enough the sales pitch, join a discipleship community. Last week, we started a series on God's faithfulness. Um, and you can go back and find it on the website or the video page, but based on the chaos that was coming from all of y'all, maybe just listen to this one, uh, and that'll be good. So, I do have to start out by saying, as somebody who speaks publicly, I'm a public speaker, and like with kids here, like, I've done this a lot. When I was at Crand Hill, it was a, a big part of my job. Uh, one of the last things you want to do is have to get up on stage and make a correction about something you said the week before. Um, however, I found out this week that I made a pretty big error and I feel I need to correct it. Uh, so, 
Here's the official statement. If you follow any of my social media sites, you saw it. But I would like to officially and sincerely apologize to those I have offended when I, in my ignorance, claim that Joseph King of Dreams was a Disney movie when in fact it's a DreamWorks production. <laughs> I will take the appropriate steps to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Please respect my privacy as I go through this process to ensure that this doesn't happen again. All right, now that that's over, let's get to business. We're not messing around this week. We're going to be serious. So last week, I proposed that since God has a history of being faithful to his people throughout a variety of circumstances, that he will be faithful to us. We can find that history of faithfulness all throughout Scripture. And last week, we highlighted the story of Joseph, the life of Joseph. Um, and much like our survey into the life of Joseph, this week we're going to summarize a big portion of Scripture. We're going to summarize some chapters and some events. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because we're just hitting the highlights of this series. Um, and another part is the sheer amount of Scripture we're going to cover. Last week we covered like over 20 chapters of the Bible. Um, and this week we're going to be covering about 80 to 90 years of history. And to cover that much time uh, and break it down verse by verse, expositing the text would take, well, probably close to 80 to 90 years. So, uh, we're not going to do that. Joseph's story ends with the book of Genesis, but as Exodus opens, we get a bit of a recap, a sort of last week in the Bible, a recap of the end, end of Joseph's story. So as, as well as a premise to kind of like the state of Israel, what's going on with the Israelites. So in chapter 1 of Exodus, we find out first, Joseph, all of his brothers, and that entire generation has died. Second, they multiplied very fruitfully. Third, there's a new king, a new pharaoh, who was unfamiliar with Joseph and his story and his family and that, everything we talked about last week. He didn't know. Fourth, this king wanted to oppress the Hebrew people so they didn't cause an uprising. The more he oppressed them, the more they multiplied. And then finally, because of the numerous Hebrews baby, Hebrew babies being born, Pharaoh commanded all of his people to throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but to let the daughters live. And that's Exodus 1.22. Now that brings us into Exodus chapter 2, which covers about 40 of the 80 years we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to highlight a pretty major example in the history of Israel that God was faithful. But before we get there, we need to kind of get some context. The early years of Moses' life. This is about, I, I know you've all taken a history class at some point in your life. This is probably the quickest you've ever gone through 80 years of history. You guys ready? All right, first, Moses is born, but because of the command that Pharaoh gave, he was supposed to be thrown into the Nile. But his mom said, he's so beautiful, I can't do that. So she raised him for three months, hid him from Pharaoh, and then put him in a basket, sent him down the river. His sister was watching all of them. She went, all right, Pharaoh's, or Moses is in a basket, watches him go down the river. Where does he stop? Pharaoh's daughter, right in front of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, and she's like, oh, baby, I don't want to get rid of it. What do I do? And then she's like, I'm going to raise this as my own. But Pharaoh's 
daughter was like, I, I can't, I need someone. Well, Moses' sister was right there. She says, why don't you get an Israelite woman to care for this baby? She's like, that's great. Do you know it, basically? She's like, yeah, this lady would take care of her for you. And it was her mom. So Moses' mom not only got to raise her son, but she also got paid to do so. So it's pretty cool. All right, fast forward 39 and a half years. Uh, Moses saw, so I was quick. We're, I told you, this is 80 years ago, I'm quick. So Moses saw, is now approximately 40 years old. He sees an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Uh, the next day, he tried to break up a fight between a couple of Hebrew guys. And the man that kind of instigated the fight was like, he snapped back, what are you going to do? Kill me like he did that Egyptian? And Moses realized that what he thought was hidden is not so hidden. Pharaoh caught wind and tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled to Midian. He gets to Midian, and he rescues some Midian folks that are getting beat up by some shepherds. So they take him back to Jethro, their priest. He brought him over for dinner and gave Moses his daughter to him in marriage. Which to me seems like a little bit of an awkward, like, dinner date. Hey, thanks for helping my people marry my daughter. Um, fast forward another 40 years. Boom, 80 years. Gone. All right, time to go home. Kid, you've not even started. But I do need to be quiet. Stay hydrated. Now we're in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is now 80 years old. Man, time flies when you're having fun. So one day he's out shepherding the flock, and he sees this bush on fire, except the bush wasn't burning up. So he gets closer to check it out, and, and God calls out from the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, I have had people, like, try to scare me in my day, like, they, Hunter! And they're, like, from behind the curtain, ah, and I jump and freak me out a little bit. Uh, but there's always people in the room, like, there's always somebody somewhere that jumps out. Uh, I'm not sure how I respond if somebody jumped out and like Hunter, Hunter, and I look around and like there's really nobody there. Uh, at first, it seems like Moses is pretty chill, like yeah, here I am. And then God says, "Do not come any closer. Remove the sandals from your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." I think this is the point where Moses was like looking around to see somebody. He's like, I'm the God. He's like, oh, okay. That's, and he bows down, hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, this was before Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, which meant man couldn't really encounter God face to face or they would die. Again, because we're hitting the highlights, God's response starting in verse 7 is, is more specific and drawn out. But here's the summary. God responds. I have seen the misery of my people and their cry because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering, and I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and bring them into a new land. Because their cry has come to me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians treat them, go. I am sending you so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, we get the um, blessing of hindsight. We get to look at Moses and see he's a Israelite by birth and an Egyptian by family. He was raised, so he knows both the Israelite culture and the Hebrew culture. We see Moses as the perfect person to lead, to 
negotiate with Pharaoh and lead the Israelite people. But this is where we get a little glimpse of Moses' heart. He responds, who am I that I can go talk to Pharaoh and bring them out of Egypt? Bro, you're literally family. That's who you are. Moses basically tells God that he's not the guy for the job. Find someone else. God then promises that he'll be with Moses. Moses, I'm going to be right there with you the entire time. And he also gives Moses the entire plan up front. He's not hiding anything from Moses. So starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter, God basically says, you're going to go to the Israelites. Tell them that I sent you and that I'm going to deliver them from their oppression and get them out of Egypt. Then, take them, go talk to Pharaoh. He's not going to let you go. But then I'm going to do a bunch of uh, miracles and, and stuff. And, and then he'll let you go. Not only that, but you're also going to leave with a bunch of stuff. You're going to plunder Egypt. And then we'll leave you out and deliver you into this new land. Right? Now, I skipped, in the middle of all of that, a very significant part, theologically speaking. I left out the part where Moses asks God, well, what, what do I tell them? Who do I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am who I am. I am sent me. Now that phrase, I am who I am, elaborates on God's supremacy. Think of it like the New Testament phrase, the Alpha and the Omega. When nothing was, God is. Uh, so fast forward to like Jesus and stuff. Uh, one of the reasons the Pharisees wanted Jesus killed, spoiler alert, they killed him, he rose from the dead three days later, defeating death and securing salvation for all who believe. But one of the reasons they wanted to kill him was because, gospel of 13 seconds, um, was because he claimed to be God. And in John 8, 8.58, he says, he was talking to some Pharisees, and he says that he saw Abraham. And they're like, how do you see Abraham? You're only like, 30 years old. And Jesus responded, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And in saying that, Jesus had said, before Abraham was, I am, I have always been, I will always be. He is, I am, he is God. Which was incredibly blasphemous in the eyes of the Pharisees, and for that he needed to be put to death. All right, back to Moses. So God lays out the entire plan, right? I'm gonna, you're going to go to the people. You're going to tell them who I am. You're going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to not let you go. I'm going to do some miracles. He'll let you go. Cool. Lays out the entire plan. Tells Moses that he is going to be right there with him. And that he may face a little opposition. But God will deliver him. Sounds like God has it all under control. Like Almost like he knows what he's doing, right? All Moses has to do is get to work. Except... He doesn't want to go back to Egypt. Starting off Exodus chapter 4, Moses asks more questions. Well, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't obey? So several years ago, when I was the program director at Grand Hill Ranch, my job was to plan their summer camp program. Right? So we'd have 100 to 150 kids every week, which meant I had to create the schedule for five days for 100 to 150 kids. I had to create activities and plan activities for 100 to 150 kids, which meant I had to make sure we had staffing and training those staff and communicate the details with all the five other departments at Crane Hill Ranch and coordinate housing for everybody and communicate all the important details to the camp families before they got to camp. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. And it never failed. 
There was usually something that I didn't think of, a detail I forgot, something I didn't communicate well enough, whether it be to a camp people or the, another department. Questions would arise. Issues would arise. And sometimes, which was one of my favorite things, he said sarcastically, it was a very long and pointed email from a parent after camp. Now, some of these comments, questions, and concerns were not very legitimate, but some of them very much were. Um, so coming out of that season, I learned two things. One, it doesn't matter how much time, effort, and planning I put into things, I'll still miss stuff. I'm still gonna forget something, I'm still gonna communicate something poorly. And secondly, I need to appreciate the questions and the accountability that comes from these questions. See, often, it was easier for me to get frustrated because when people would ask these questions, as I'm trying to run these camp things, it seemed to come from a lack of trust. But now, looking at it years later, I can appreciate those questions, and in my role now, questions I get, I can appreciate them because they help keep me accountable, they help me communicate better, they help me make sure all my dots, or I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Right? Neil, you know, until you learn something at a job you did way back then, what does it have to do with Moses? Why do we ask God questions? Why do we question God? What was the heartbeat of Moses' questions? See, God laid the entire plan out. He gave him all the details. Maybe not every single fine point detail, but Moses, you're going to go talk to the people. I'm going to follow you. You're going to go to Moses or go to Pharaoh. I'm going to be with you the whole time. He's going to tell you no. You're going to face a little opposition. I'm going to do miracles. You're going to leave. Take you to this new land. Everything he needs to know. Unlike me, who makes mistakes, who missed some details back in the day, I still do, even today. God's plan is perfect. God doesn't miss <coughs> details. When God gives us a direction and we ask questions, especially disqualifying questions like Moses was asking, they reveal how insecure we truly are. And that's exactly what Moses was doing here. He's revealing his insecure heart. So God would remind him who he was. So remind God would show him, hey, I'm God, you're not. So first he turns Moses' staff into a snake. Moses, throw that stick in your hand down on the ground. Snake, pick it back up. Stick it in. Cool. Second, he gave Moses temporary leprosy. He said, Moses, stick your hand in your cloak, pull it back up. Leprosy. All right, put it back in. Boom, you're healed. So God said, go to them and do the first sign, the staff into the snake. And then if they don't believe you, do the second sign. And then if they don't believe the second sign, take a cup of water from the Nile, dump it on dry land, it'll turn to blood, and they'll believe you. So not only is Moses saying, God, I don't, I, don't, I have some insecurities here, maybe I don't trust you, maybe I'm not believing that you're going to do something. Um, God very much could say, gone, Moses, get out of here. But he met Joseph where he was at. And he says, all right, fine, I'll hold your hand a little bit longer. All right. And now it's time for Moses to get to work. They're going to believe you because I tell you they're going to believe you. Exodus 4.10 says, but Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and tongue are sluggish. I'm feeling a little bit. 
Anyone a little frustrated with Moses? Dude, God literally laid everything out for you. He answered your questions. He is checking all about you. You're good. Just do it. Come on, dude. God showed up in a burning bush. He told you his plan. He said who he was. He gave you signs. You're still making excuses. Church, we do the exact same thing. God tells us to make disciples, to share our faith, to serve in our church, and we make excuses. Sometimes the exact same excuses Moses makes. So if I ask any one of you, that, hey, I need you to teach a middle school class, or come and speak Sunday night at youth group. Anyone down? Uh, how many of you right now are making a list of things that, or reasons that you're not qualified to do that? How many of, some of you might say, Hunter, I'm not an eloquent speaker and my tongue is sluggish, so I can't speak to middle schoolers. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to speak to the middle schoolers, you're fine. Maybe David, maybe David. He'll carry that burden for you. So I was recently visiting my brother down in Tennessee, and we were at his house, and a buddy of his was there, and I could tell like he was in a little bit of a rough spot. Like, you know how you just see somebody and they look wore out? That was this guy. Um, and we were talking and just kind of, whatever, playing cornhole and talking about, well, at one point in the conversation, he says, well, what do you do? John, what's your, what do you do for work? I'm like, oh, I'm a youth pastor. And I saw his eyes light up. Now, usually when I tell somebody I'm a youth pastor, one of two things happens. Um, their eyes either light up, like, oh, they got, which tells me, all right, this is going to be a, some kind of conversation. Or they like shrivel up and they're like, I don't want to have a conversation about faith right now or ever. So he, his eyes lit up. So I'm like, all right, this is going to be a fun conversation, which I love talking about life and faith and my job and ministry and how everything kind of. So I'm like, I love, I'm like, this is exciting. This is good stuff. So he tells me, man, I just, you know, I, I've been in church my whole life and I'm at this church now where I feel like God might, God, God's nudging me to like, teach this young adults class, but I just don't feel like I can do it. Well, I started with the feelings, bro, so you're wrong there. I didn't tell him that. In that way. I says, well, here's the thing. I was at this conference once, and I'm talking to his name's Jacob Douglas, and I'm like, I was at this conference once, this pastor says, he's like, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. So I said, if God's leading you to teach this class, you got to go. He's going to take care of the qualification. He is going to equip you to do what he has called you to do. And as we continue with this, this conversation between Moses and God, it appears that Moses is starting to frustrate God a little bit. He's dragging his feet. And, and here in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 11, God's tone begins to change a little bit. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. So I've been yelled at a few times in my life. Uh, be it from my supervisor at work. Not here, obviously. But whether it be a supervisor at work or my parents. Growing up, I told you I was a middle child. Uh, and I'm somewhere close to the bottom of the list of favorites. Uh, this week, <laughs> don't tell my mom, because she'll just be like, he's lying! Uh, this week I was yelled at 
for mistaking a Disney movie for a DreamWorks production. But anyway, they're growing up. There were definitely times I'd get yelled at. Um, parents were telling me to do something. I'd drag my feet. There was a point where the tone changed from, all right, I got a little bit of time to procrastinate on this chore, to I better do this chore or I'm sleeping outside tonight. Um, and like we talked about last week, if that were Montana, she wouldn't do the chore. And then at the end of not doing the chore, she'd get a piece of cake. <laughs> but I feel like Moses is at that point where he's like, all right, tone has changed, time to move. Uh, Exodus 4.13, Moses' response, Please, Lord, send someone else. Oh, my life. I'm starting to get mad at Moses because God, everything's laid out. Exodus 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I feel like in any situation you could ever possibly be in, that's where you don't want to be. When the Lord's anger is burning against you. I feel like avoid that at all costs. Uh, but continuing on in verses 14 through 17, God tells Moses that he will communicate to Moses, and then Moses can have his brother Aaron do the talking, that God's going to teach them both and tell them both what to do. Now it's time to move. All right, we're going to fast forward again. We're going to breeze through chapters 6 through 14. So in Exodus 6, God tells, God promises that I'm going to deliver you guys. I'm going to get you through this. I told you this like 17 times already. I will deliver you. So they end up going to the people, taking the people to Pharaoh, uh, and it goes exactly like God said it would. The people support him, but when they get to Pharaoh, he won't let them go. So God does some miracles. We talked to him about like plague, we call it plague. And it goes something like this Moses and Aaron, or Aaron go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, no. God then turns the Nile into blood. All right, Moses and Aaron, back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, God covers Egypt in frogs. Things aren't going well for Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron, they go back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, no, gnats cover all the people and animals. This happens seven more times with swarms of flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and ultimately the plague that broke Pharaoh, the death of the firstborn. This was a biggie because it instituted one of the most significant reference and celebrated moments in all of Scripture, Passover. So if you're not familiar, this plague was a biggie. God was going to send an angel to pass over, what they call it, Passover, all the houses in Egypt and kill every firstborn male in Egypt. In order to protect himself, he said to the Israelites, Spread some blood on the doorpost and lintel of your homes, and the angels pass over your house. Pass over. Right. It's a massive festival, a massive celebration. It's actually the meal that they were celebrating, that Jesus and the disciples were celebrating during the Last Supper. And it's the meal that was kind of repurposed to be communion. See, for a very long time, God's people broke bread and celebrated Passover, the night of the final plague that God would use to deliver them from their slavery to the Egyptians. And Jesus, during his final Passover meal, was about to deliver God's people from a different kind of slavery, a slavery to sin. But, back to Moses. So after the final plague, Pharaoh said, leave Egypt. And they did. They're gone. All right, see, you don't got to tell us twice. Except, 
Shortly thereafter, Pharaoh changed his mind and he chased after him. When the Israelites looked back and they saw the Egyptians, they freaked out. And sometimes we do that too. It's kind of like Peter, when they're on the boat, and Jesus calls them out, hey, come on out of the water, come walk to me. And Jesus called them out, but when Peter looked at the waves around him, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked around, hit the waves and his face, whoops, sorry about that, he saw the waves and his faith wavered. Church, it's when we take our eyes off of Jesus that we begin to doubt, that we begin to question, and that we begin to even lose our faith. Fix your eyes on the God who controls the storm, not the storm itself. So the Israelites, they're in a similar situation. They've seen God's faithfulness to get them out of Egypt. And they hear a little bit of rumbling in the back. They look back and they see Pharaoh's army and poof, all of that is gone. They freak out. They yell at Moses. And here's Moses' response in uh, chapter 14, verse 13. He says, But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you must be quiet. I think we need that reminder when we respond poorly to our circumstances. I mean, I know none of you respond poorly to your circumstances, but I respond poorly to my circumstances sometimes. And I need that reminder. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Sometimes I just need the last part. You must be quiet. Uh, but not today. So God used Moses and his staff to part the Red Sea. You guys know the story. They ran through, and Pharaoh's army chased them to their own demise. Because once the Israelites got through, God told Moses, hey, put staff down, close the waters, and all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's flow. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, they are out <laughs> Exodus 14, 31. Sorry, I'm camping. I know I'm camping. So Exodus 14, 31. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. <clears throat> they made it. They're free. Now they begin to the, the journey to the land that Moses that God promised Moses, the land of milk and honey. They just got to witness the most incredible deliverance God has given them, the deliverance from slavery. They got to witness one of the most incredible examples of God's faithfulness in the history and existence of the world. He said, I'm going to deliver you from the grips of Pharaoh, and he did. Not only did they see that, but now they feared and believed and trusted Moses as God's servant and their leader. But, we'll find out next week, that they're pretty quick to forget God's deliverance and God's faithfulness. But as we consider the various examples of God's faithfulness throughout Scripture, we reflect and should be humble. We are the Israelites. Much like Moses did, we doubt. We project our insecurities on God. We project our lack of faith on God. And, we, and when we can't see how he's working things out, we bounce. We're out. Church, the same God that went before Moses and delivered him from the Egyptians can deliver you as well. 
We just spent a brief moment reflecting on the relationship between Passover and Jesus. Although our deliverance may not be a physical deliverance from an earthly slavery, we have been delivered from sin through Jesus Christ. Church, are you resting in that truth, or are you resting in your own ability to do so? Are you looking at your own circumstances and trusting God, or are you allowing your circumstance to dictate your trust in God? I have one more catchy little Christian phrase for you. Uh, last week, or sorry, this week, as we reflect on trusting God with our problems, with our insecurities, and with our shortcomings, I share this. Don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying God doesn't want to hear about your problems. Not only does God love hearing from us, he longs for us to talk with him and to share those things with him. He wants to hear your problems. But the important part there is telling your problem how big your God is. We must remember that God is faithful and he will see us through whatever circumstances that we may face.